Well, welcome back, everybody. It's Dr. Bill Jensen with another awesome episode of the Evolve Wellness Experience. And today we're going to be discussing a topic that really everybody should be very familiar about, although we're going to flip this thing on its head because we're going to show you some new and different things about cholesterol and how it relates to heart disease today um, that some it may shock you. Uh, it may, to, for lack of a better word, like really piss you off when you hear about some of these things. But the whole purpose of this process, obviously, is to just give you a little different understanding of cholesterol, its relationship to heart disease, and then to help you make informed decisions about you or loved ones or family members or um, anybody you know and care about going forward. So I hope you really enjoy. So in my constant uh, quest to learn and be more knowledgeable and give better advice to people that I uh, take care of in the practice as well as people that I care about, you know, outside the practice, um, you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time reading studies, uh, listening to webinars, listening to podcasts from different experts in different fields. And every once in a while, I come across something that I'm like, man, you know, I really got to take a little further look into this. And then in this particular instance, I was like, I really, really, really have to share this uh, with all the listeners out there. And and that's really when it comes down to, to heart disease. You know, in heart disease, when you look at the statistics in heart disease, I, I'm sure most people are familiar with the fact that it is the number one killer worldwide overall uh, as far as uh, chronic-related uh, conditions. Cancer is coming in close second and catching up, and I'm sure at some point, as we'll talk about later in the podcast, cancer will probably overtake heart disease, but heart disease for decades has been the biggest issue, especially in the United States, um, and we've been looking for ways and to, to fix it and, and, and mitigate the effects of it so people aren't having you know, strokes and heart, heart attacks and cerebral vascular disorders and everything that comes along, obviously, with heart disease, so... So I was listening to um, a it's a webinar actually that came out, but there was a there's a website that you can go to, and I encourage everybody's a you know cross reference point for you for things that you can dive into to different topics of health, and it's called onecommune.com, and they have different people that will present on different topics, and you know one of my personal favorites out there that I listen to all the time on all things health is Dr. Zach Bush. And he's a quadruple board certified medical doctor, um, and he has a lot of great knowledge. And I share some of his stuff all the time on social media as well. But he did a very fascinating presentation on the heart and, as he called it, the dogma of a broken heart. And it's how we've really looked at heart disease um, in a way that actually isn't really right. And we've demonized cholesterol as a major root cause of heart disease. And as a result of that, as you may know, because some of you may be on it, you know, we've really used statin drugs as a way to lower cholesterol. And and as a result of trying to lower cholesterol, lower heart disease and prolong life. Um, But when you really take a look at uh, heart attacks decreasing over time, if you really take a look at some of the downstream bad effects that people have as a result of being on statin drugs for, for decades at a time, you really sometimes have to question whether or not it's even worth it. So 
So let's kind of just jump into it, um, and we're going to probably give you some different things. And I would also just say up front that uh, based upon the knowledge and the information that I'm about to give you today, um, anytime if you decide at the end of this to say, hey, you know, maybe I should stop taking a statin drug or, you know, maybe I should tell my husband or wife to stop doing this or I would certainly say that I'm not giving you medical advice. I'm not suggesting that you quit statin drug. I'm not, I've never suggest that you stop taking any type of medication whatsoever. Uh, you always should do that under the direct supervision of your medical provider that's prescribed you those medications. You shouldn't try to do it on it. Don't take my advice for anything that we're doing right now. All I'm doing today is sharing with you the research and the facts and how, how I see things a little bit. Um, and I'm a big guy that is always like, get to the root of the problem. You know, don't try to mask it and, and do things with medications that cover things up that might have deleterious effects, you know, down the road for you. But the one bad thing about that is, is that your doctors that have prescribed you statin drugs are wholeheartedly in the in true belief that they're trying to do with what's in your best interest to lower your cholesterol levels, to prevent you from having a heart attack, or maybe in some cases, a second heart attack or a second stroke. Um, but when you see it through the lens that we see here today, you'll kind of understand that cholesterol in and of itself isn't the enemy. Um, it's just kind of secondary uh, effect of having heart disease itself. And nothing that your body does really ever is by accident. And everything that your body does and produces and everything, you know, in that realm is for a purpose. Um, so when you understand those things, um, you'll understand cholesterol is not the enemy. But, you know, again, you'll make that decision for yourself. So cholesterol, when, you know, when you think about cholesterol, like, what do you think? I mean, Google cholesterol. Like, I promise you, if you Google cholesterol, everything that you're going to find in regards to cholesterol, uh, for the most part, is going to be bad. You're going to see probably pictures of clogged arteries. You're going to have associations with heart disease, and you're going to see all this stuff in uh, WebMD and, and how it's bad. And so, but, but put that aside for just a second. Um, and understand that that's just the current paradigm. So we associate cholesterol with heart disease. We associate cholesterol as being the enemy. And we associate cholesterol with death. All right. And so that's just not the reality, unfortunately, but that's the paradigm that we live in right now. So knowing that cholesterol was a, is a huge issue and has been, uh, really since the 50s and 60s, we started taking a look at it post-World War II. Um, and a lot of studies were coming out. The Framingham study is probably one of the longest running studies that, as it pertains to cholesterol and the effects of cholesterol and uh, with heart disease out of Framingham, Massachusetts. And they followed generations of people and, and studied them in that regard. Um, and so basically what they said is like, well, geez, you know, if, if we do biopsies and we look at these people that have died of heart attacks and we look at their clogged arteries and the clogged arteries are full of cholesterol – then obviously cholesterol must be the thing that's clogging up the artery. And as a result of the clogged up arteries, then they're having the heart attack or the stroke, right? And that makes sense. But that's, that's correlation um, and not causation. And so the problem you get into in medicine is that when you um, have something correlated with a particular disease and you're, and you're just labeling that as the cause of the disease and we create interventions in order to, do, to take away that, um, that is probably not the best way to practice science and medicine, in my opinion. So, you know, when we come up with, say, all right, well, how are we going to do that? And, and back in the, I believe, 70s, it was maybe even late 60s, they found out about a, a compound called a statin and its ability, obviously, to lower cholesterol um, in mice. And so, you know, when they started the human trials and um, 
obviously they they wanted to really take their time with this because they they realized at the same time that if cholesterol in the body was producing these plaques, which was ultimately leading to a cardiovascular disease, they also knew at the same time that uh, cholesterol does provide a lot of other baseline functions within the body, which we're going to go through here in a second. So they were very concerned about if we give somebody a statin drug and inhibit their body's ability to produce cholesterol, is it going to kill them? Um, is there going to be other like super harmful effects that are going to totally mitigate the effects, that, uh, benefits that they were going to have from taking the statin drug in relationship to preventing heart disease? But what they found out, obviously, is that the body has like such an amazing ability to regenerate and heal that no matter what you take as far as a statin drug, it doesn't completely obliterate the body's ability to produce cholesterol. So the studies basically were followed for about two years with human trials, and they found obviously that it didn't wipe out cholesterol. So the baseline functions of some of the cholesterol was still able to be carried out. Uh, but at the same time, they felt, well, as a result of reducing cholesterol, clearly we're going to reduce plaque, and reducing plaque is going to lead to reduced uh, heart attacks. And only time would tell, obviously, if you follow people over decades, because people don't die of heart disease overnight. It takes decades for arteries to clog. So, but the initial things that they found were very, very encouraging, so to speak. But so you understand the role of cholesterol as it pertains to the body, let's talk about some of the vital functions cholesterol actually does. So most people understand that our body is made of tissue. Those tissues are made of cells. Those cells have membranes. And those membranes, a lot of the membrane is composed of cholesterol. And so the role of a cholesterol in a cell membrane is it makes it very pliable, right? Makes it elastic, able to stretch, contract. Would they, so let me ask you a question. Uh, would that be important in your muscle? Would that be important in your blood vessels? The ability to expand and contract appropriately, right? or your intestines, or you know any tissue in your body. The ability of the membrane to expand and contract and be pliable is extremely, extremely important. Another role it actually provides. So on a cellular level, it's extremely important. If you look at like what's in the cell, um, there are, it's a very delicate uh, environment. Like we really need that environment to be protected and we need, so meaning that keep like what you want to have in the cell in the cell and keeping what you don't want to have the cell out of the cell. Like, so that protective barrier within the cell wall is vital. Cholesterol provides that protective barrier of all cell walls in our body, right? So it keeps the water and all the stuff and the alkalinity and the pH of the cell and everything perfect inside keeps all the toxins and the viruses and the stuff, all the barriers of out, the things outside the cell, outside the cell. So fluidity, protective barrier of cell wall, crucial. What about uh, the ability of our body to absorb nutrients that we eat from food? Do you think that that would be a very important thing to be very good at? And uh, the answer obviously would be yes. And so what does that? So one of the roles within cholesterol in the body is bile synthesis. And as you may know, bile is held within your gallbladder. And every time we eat food, fat, anything else like that, our body releases a little bit of the bile salts into the uh, small intestine. And then as a result of that, it emulsifies some of the fat, emulsifies some of the food, breaks, helps break things down. And so their body can better absorb nutrients. If you don't have cholesterol in their body, 
and your cholesterol isn't converted into bile salts and, and or vice versa, if you've had your gallbladder removed, right, another thing, um, you're not going to absorb food and nutrients as well as you're supposed to. So that is an issue. What about hormones? Do you think it's important that your body produces and regulates its hormones properly? Hormones being, let me give you a top two, for women, estrogen, for men, testosterone. Where do you get those hormones from? Cholesterol. All right. Let me get you into another one. What about uh, lipoproteins? Lipoproteins, uh, a lot of people don't know what that means, but let me give you an example of one of them. LDL, low-density lipoprotein. HDL, high-density lipoprotein. Uh, VLDL, very low-density lipoprotein. So a lot of people understand and know those things. That's on their blood markers, you know, HDL, LDL, VLDL, all that stuff. But the, what those are very important for is they, choler- they carry cholesterol uh, in and of itself to different regions of the body to, pr- to, to take out certain functions in the body. So uh, one of the critical functions of LDL, uh, and people always say, well, LDL, that's the bad one, right? That's the one we try to take down with, with my uh, Lipitor, right? But the reality is that LDL, what its primary function in the body is, is it's an anti-inflammatory. So if you have inflammation in your blood vessels, do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea that your body can release LDL into the bloodstream so it's an anti-inflammatory for the blood vessel? I hope you would think that that's probably a good idea to do that. So again, to summarize, what are the critical functions of cholesterol in the body? Increased flexibility of cell wall, right? Now, why is that important? Because if you have stiffness in your blood vessels because of low cholesterol in the blood vessels, that makes your hypertension go up. Vice versa, what causes damage to the blood vessels that would lead to cardiovascular disease? High blood pressure. All right, so that's one thing. Improve barrier function, so decrease actually the permeability of the cell wall, so you keep what you need in the cell perfect and what you want to keep out of the cell, out of the cell. It increases bile production for nutrient bioavailability or nutrient absorption in the gut. It is a building block for all steroid hormones in the body and Cholesterol, LDL specifically, is the primary anti-inflammatory mechanism for cell walls. So knowing all of those things and all those critical functions that cholesterol provides, do you think that it's a good idea to take a statin drug or other variables of drugs like phenofibrate, things like that, to inhibit your body's ability to produce cholesterol thus then inhibiting your body's ability to carry out all those critical functions in your body. Sure, you may inhibit you from having a heart attack, but what are all the other secondary things that are going to happen as a result of you not being able to carry out those critical functions in your body? What other secondary issues are going to happen as a result of that? Um, So that's kind of the things that a critical thinker needs to take a look at to see a cost-reward-benefit ratio, as we now now talk about uh, in the news these days. So, so again, back to LDL. So LDL being like a primary anti-inflammatory thing um, is it, not a bad thing. So when we talk about like how really things go wrong in the body and how LDL gets demonized in the body, let's kind of go into uh, a classic example. I'll, I'll give you a, a primary example of how this all works out real world. All right. So let's just say that somebody smokes. So smoking, obviously, is one of the most inflammatory, like, corrosive things that you can possibly do for your blood vessels, right? 
So somebody lights up a cigarette, takes in a, a, a drag of uh, their cigarette, the smoke goes in their body, it absorbs in through the lungs, it gets into the bloodstream. So now you got radioactive isotopes coursing through your blood vessels. You got um, nicotine, arsenic. You got all these different things coursing through your vessels. These things start like ripping and tearing at the blood vessels at a microscopic level, creating like uh, roughening, if you will, within the blood vessel. Like if you think of your blood vessels, think of a like slippery Teflon, right? But these things create roughness in there. And then the turbulence actually of the blood as it courses through the blood veins actually creates more damage as a result of bad fluidity. Now, when your body recognizes that, it's very smart. It says, oh, holy cow, we've got damage occurring in the Teflon tube and there's we got to go repair that. So what your liver does is it releases LDL. 75% of the LDL that's in your bloodstream is as a result of your liver producing it. The other 25% would be coming from your diet. All right. So when we talk about just that alone, if we want to lower LDL cholesterol, all we have to do is is weed out dairies and animal proteins. And immediately your cholesterol is going to drop by 25%. So we'll talk more about that later. But the primary thing is your liver saying something's wrong. So it's going to raise your LDL in your bloodstream and it's going to send out what's called LDL reductase. And LDL reductase has a positively charged electron. And when the LDL finds its way into the area of the blood vessel where the damage is occurring on the tubule wall, it enters into the actual uh, lining of the blood vessel and it drops off an electron into that area to basically, um, what's the best way to describe it? It drops off the electron essentially to neutralize the inflammation, all right? Because the inflammation basically is a reactive oxygen species and so it drops off that electron to neutralize that. Once it has dropped off its electron, pretty much its job is done at that point, right? It's, it's decreased inflammation by doing that process. Then it's called LDL oxidase. Now, from that point, it doesn't need to be in there longer. So what happens is you have what's called a monocyte, which is a white blood cell that'll come in and actually engulf the LDL. And then from there, it's supposed to move its way back out of the lining of the blood vessel and get back in the bloodstream go back and then it's picked up by um, HDL and HDL takes it back up to the liver, drops it off, recycles it, it recharges it with an electron and it goes back out into the bloodstream and then does it all over again. So it's this recyclative uh, regenerative process that keeps occurring. Uh, that's in a perfect world. What happens when you have a body that's in a chronic inflammatory state? So that smoker, you know, he took one drag of that cigarette and it created that inflammation. But is that, is that the only time he smokes ever? No, he lights up another half hour later, another half hour later. And the next thing you know, he's through a pack of cigarettes and it's on to a second pack. Then the next day he wakes up and does it all again. In the meantime, he's uh, at home watching uh, football on the TV on the Sunday. And he's like, you know, the, the, the quarterback on the couch, right? Drinking six pack beer, more inflammation, snacking on some food uh, with the process, more inflammation. So he's in this like habitual chronic inflammatory state. So in the real world example, if you smoked that one cigarette, caused some damage, and the LDL came in, dropped off a few electrons here and there, report, repaired that, that'd be all good and well. But when there's that chronic inflammatory, there's like inflammation all throughout the blood vessels, everywhere in the cardiac uh, tree, basically, with, all, with everything around the heart. And so there's this constant bombardment. And, and the white blood cells can't keep up with what's going on. And so little by little, they start to get engulfed. And sometimes the white blood cells don't get outside 
the blood vessel lining. And now from there, they get stagnant and they get stuck. And then they turn in something called a foam cell. And, um, and next thing you know, little by little, it starts to build up until you obviously occlude the uh, arterial lining years and years and years later. Like I'm talking like a decade, two decades, three decades later. This is like a long-term process. And then when we die of a heart attack and we go and have the biopsy and we see these clogs and a lot of them have cholesterol in them and they have blood cells in them and they have all this debris and plaque and foam cells. And then we say, oh, it's cholesterol's fault. Well, the reality is it's not cholesterol's fault. It's, a, it's, it's just a byproduct of having a chronic inflammatory state. So then obviously what we do is say, again, oh, it's, it's causing you know, the, the plaques to occur when it's just correlated. It's not caused by it. So we mitigate that with a statin drug. And so obviously what happens? Well, you, you take away the body's ability to produce cholesterol. And so as a result of that, you don't have LDL to be able to go to the site of inflammation and vascular damage in order to drop off the electron. Um, so what happens? Well, you still actually end up having a heart attack, just not as soon. Because again, without the LDL there, you still will have the monocytes actually that will go into the site of inflammation and eventually they'll start to clog up. And again, you can't completely eliminate all cholesterol from your body. So you're still going to have some LDL coming in um, because you have to have it to, to live. And so you're still going to find these uh, plaques that are going to develop just at a slower rate. So people would say, well, that's a good thing, right? You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, I'm still preventing the heart attack from occurring. But what about all like again, the downstream effects of not having enough cholesterol in your body? You know, what is that going to do? So we'll, we'll jump into some of that. But some of you may be wondering, well, how does a statin drug work? Basically, how it works is within the what's called endoplasmic reticulum. It's a complicated word. There is a, a, um, something called HMG-CoA reductase. And that catalyzes actually the synthesis of cholesterol. So basically all statin drugs comes in, inhibits this um, enzyme from being able to produce cholesterol, and it shuts down every single cell uh, ability throughout your entire body to produce, or inhibits it at least, to produce cholesterol. And so that particular um, drug, a statin drug, was actually approved by the FDA in 1987. Um, but basically that was um, something that was discovered as a compound uh, in the 1970s. And so the very first drug that was introduced, you may be familiar with it, uh, and aren't these drug companies very smart? It was called Lovastatin. And what does that sound like? Lovastatin, right? So they made the drug Lovastatin. And, uh, and they, that was going to be the solution to all heart disease and get the number one killer in the United States under control. Well, now after decades of people being on it since 1987 uh, and secondary ones coming out since that one that are even stronger, like atorvastatin in 1997, we've obviously had quite a while to be able to study some of the effects, uh, side effects, if you would, of statin drug use chronically over time. So in some of these things I see come into my practice, you know, all the time, you know, why do people come in to see chiropractors in general? Neck pain, back pain, headaches, stiffness, joint pain, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Well, what do you know? Number One of the number one side effects of statin drugs are headaches. So why would somebody have a headache with a statin drug? Well, two things mainly. Number one, 
it does affect your brain, although I wouldn't say that it's the brain causing the headache. But number two, it certainly affects your muscles. It makes your muscles stiff. It makes your muscles sore. Where do headaches come from primarily? The suboccipital muscles in the upper part of the neck. So when those muscles really tighten up, you're much more likely to see people get tension headaches on a regular basis. Number two, uh, side effects of statin drug use. Difficulty sleeping. Now, difficulty sleeping, that would be a problem. So again, that's on a neurological level. When you think about your brain, your brain basically um, has a sympathetic and parasympathetic state, and statin drugs disrupt those states. And so you being in a parasympathetic state is, is crucial for getting a good d d deep sleep at night. And so when your body's fluctuating in and out of it, you wake up throughout the night in many instances. What's a problem with having difficulty sleeping? Well, when you're difficulty sleeping, you don't recover from the previous day's activities. You get stressed. When you get stressed, your immune system decreases. When your immune system decreases, you become susceptible to all diseases, one of which obviously, as we know today, would be COVID. Um, colds, flus, sickness, all sorts of stuff like that. So um, people are going to be much more susceptible to getting sick um, and having more inflammation in their body because inflammation is subsided a lot of times when we get good deep sleep at night. So more deep sleep, uh, less deep sleep, I should say, more cardiovascular disease. So it's compounding the problem there. Flushing of the skin. When you have uh, blood being delivered to your skin and not keeping deep in your organs, that's actually a sympathetic parasympathetic imbalance in your neurology as well. So flushing in the skin, muscle aches, tenderness, weakness, drowsiness, dizziness, when we lose the flexibility of our blood vessels, and then you go from a sitting to a standing position, especially as you're older, and you can't variable that, that blood pressure appropriately, you have people faint and fall down all the time. That's certainly not a good thing as we get older. Nausea, vomiting, abdominal cramping or pain, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, rash, low blood levels of platelets, nausea, hair loss, pins and needles and sensations of numbness, tingling on your uh, face, liver inflammation, which obviously uh, is an issue because if you've been on statins, you know that they constantly test your liver enzymes because it is so damaging to the liver. Uh, so that's certainly not good. Um, pancreatic inflammation, uh, skin problems, rashes, acne, sexual dysfunction, sexual erectile dysfunction, and decrease in sex drive. Certainly nothing that I personally would like to subject myself, uh, subject myself to um, in order to prevent heart disease when there's so many other ways. And one of the things that we, we always take, don't take into account is well, if all these things are, are symptoms and side effects, you know, what if I don't have those? Well, you may not initially have them like right away when you start a statin drug. And some of these symptoms can be so subtle over time. You know, it's like kind of like the best example is like, well, sometimes when I take a, a picture of somebody's posture and then they actually see like they're hunched over and they have heads out in front, you know, like you'll see like a lot of the elderly people walk around with like the hunchbacks, you know, and and they say, God, you know, I never realized that I got like that. Like, how did I get like that? And I said, well, you know, it, a grad it, it happens so gradually over time that it's like virtually impossible for you to perceive it's even happening. And a lot of times like you associate like, oh, I'm waking up stiff in the morning and I'm just getting older. 
or yeah, doc, you know, every morning I get up, my back's super stiff and it takes me like a few minutes to get walking around. And then, you know, by the time I get my morning coffee and everything else like that, and then I sit down to read the paper, go for a walk, you know, it's usually loosened up by then. And, you know, I just kind of associated that with, I'm just getting older, you know, and a lot of people have these symptoms in there in the side effects of statins. And they just say, yeah, you know, I just, I just thought my muscles were getting stiff and sore or, you know, I just, just thought that I wasn't sleeping good at night because, you know, I don't need as much sleep as I'm getting older or, yeah, I just, you know, having a lot of, you know, digestive complaints and just thought I was getting older. Or, you know, a lot of them just associate it with getting older, but it's not getting older. It's a statin drug. And a lot of times when you, like, get the timeline together, like, when did you start to feel like you're getting older? And a lot of people have that eye-opening moment, like, wow, it was really around 10 years ago when I started taking the statin drug, all these like problems started happening. So uh, again, I wouldn't say get off your statin today, like do it under the assistance of your primary care doctor. But if you take a look back, you know, a lot of times there's a correlation between the statin drug use and when these people are having problems. But like the the big, big one is is really when you do something at like an elite, elite, elite level. Like there was an interview with a, a, a cardiovascular surgeon and he's totally on board with all this. He says statin drugs is one of the biggest issues we have in, in cardiology these days. Um, and he works with people to try to mitigate and get them off the statin drugs because he knows the benefits of it. And, and there's two great examples that he gave. One example was, you know, when you see somebody that's a professional athlete that goes on a statin drug that performs at the highest of levels on a physical level each and every day, within two weeks of them going on a statin drug, they notice a distinct drop off in their physical ability, like their cardiovascular conditioning, their strength, their explosiveness, like their coordination, like all of that. They notice like it gets very dull within two weeks. But for the average person, you know, that, that goes out and plays golf and is walking on a regular basis or doing normal activities, they probably won't notice that distinct drop-off because they're not so in tune with it. Same thing on the flip side on the neurology level. He's worked with like world-class professional chess players. And when they go on the statin drugs, their ability to decipher and make moves four steps ahead of time and decipher and strategize, within two weeks of being a statin drug, they, they become terrible in their, at their level, right? Now, if you're in, you know, at the country club playing checkers with your friends and stuff like that, you probably wouldn't notice it much because you're not utilizing your brain on that intense of a level. But that's just the example. You know, for the average person, these these changes are subtle and, you know, they take decades before they become extremely noticeable. But one of the major, major things as far as the muscles are concerned, and it's a big issue because it affects a lot of people, is is the myositis. So that's the inflammation of the muscle. And so one of the things they talked about is that and I see it, you know, people come into practice like, God, you know, you know, for, for you listening out there, like, you know how you feel when you do like a really intense exercise regimen that you haven't done for a while and you wake up the next morning and your muscles are just sore. I mean, to the touch, they're sore. You sit down for five minutes, you get up, you're kind of stiff, limping around for five seconds until your muscles loosen up and you get going. So if people have like that level of inflammation and soreness in the muscles, but they did no physical activity to justify that whatsoever, that's myositis. And so that is a direct relationship with a statin drug. If that gets left unchecked over time, it actually can lead to a life-threatening condition called rhabdomyolysis. And so that's when the muscles become really leaky and they're releasing the enzymes into the bloodstream and and everything. And that actually impacts uh, one out of every 10,000 people that are put on statins. 
Now, one would think, well, it's one out of 10,000. That's a very small amount of people, right? But we have millions of people on statin drugs, all right? So it's life-threatening. And so who's at risk for really those muscle-related side effects and higher, higher risk for rhabdomyolysis? It may shock you because it shocked me. Uh, but according to the Mayo Clinic, this is directly from them, uh, it affects more so people that are taking multiple medications to lower cholesterol. So those are the... And I see it. I see some people come into my practice and on three cholesterol-lowering meds. So those people are at super high risk for having myositis and eventually rhabdomyolysis. Number two, if you're female, it's 50% of the population that's on statins. Well, not quite 50. Men are on a higher, uh, more, more predisposed to this, certainly. But, but 50% of the population out there in the world is female. Um, and just by being female, you're at a much higher risk rate for myositis and rhabdomyolysis. Uh, having a smaller body frame. I had a lady come in 65 years old and literally fit, like super fit. Horse rider, she's on, she was on, um, I believe she was on the Torvastatin too, which is the stronger of the two drugs. And she has chronic stiffness and achiness in her back every morning she gets up out of bed. And I was like, not for nothing. I mean, you definitely have some stuff in your lower back, but I promise you, that the atorvastatin is exacerbating the problem. So um, hopefully she's going to go back to her. her. Actually, interestingly enough, her cardiologist had told her she should not go on it. Her primary care physician said, you definitely need to go on this and, and won the argument there. So if that tells you anything about what's going on in medicine. Uh, being over the age of 80, having kidney disease, ironically, if you go to your primary care physician and you have any form of kidney disease whatsoever, they'll put you on a statin drug because you're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, so having kidney disease makes you more likely to have side effects from statin drugs. And it's the protocol and standard of care in medicine to put you on a statin if you uh, want to prevent heart disease uh, or liver disease, either or. Drinking too much alcohol. So obviously alcohol is inflammatory, can lead to heart disease, would be the reason your body would release LDL into the bloodstream to you know, try to have an anti-inflammatory effect for you. Do you think when people go on statin drugs and lower their cholesterol and it keeps it lowered that, oh, I can still drink all the time, right? Um, makes it more likely they'll have side effects. And then other conditions like hypothyroidism, uh, neuromuscular disorders such as um, uh, ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. So that's all kind of important stuff to do. Now, medicine would have you think, and here's the story that's still out there, that, well, as a result of statin drugs, we've completely uh, gotten heart disease under control, much, much better than it would have been had we not had this intervention. But, you know, the real thing when you really take a close, close look at it was the advent of the FDA in 1968, making cigarette uh, companies actually put on the uh, cartons or packages of cigarette on the outside that smoking causes heart disease. So as soon as that happened, actually, statistically, if you look from 1968 until present, you had a significant decline because there are far fewer people smoking now than there was back in the uh, 50s and 60s. And so uh, 1987, I mean, if you look at where it had declined by probably 30 or 40 percent of heart disease had declined by 1987 before the lovastatin was even introduced. So really, when you look at the, the grade of heart disease as it relates to that, uh, you, 
when lovastatin was introduced in 87 and then atorvastatin in 97, you should have seen a significant reduction, like drop-off in the graph. But it doesn't decline. It just declines gradually at the same exact rate that it always has since 1968 when the FDA made that so. Um, and when you take a look at tobacco use among adults um, from 1968 all the way to 2017, you see the same exact graph trends. So clearly, I would tell you that smoking cessation um, has been the number one reason why heart disease has dropped significantly at all within the United States. That uh, then, if you look at the graphs on statin prevalence since 2010, uh, it has quadrupled. So the amount of prescriptions from 2010 till current have actually quadrupled in the United States over that time period. Interestingly enough, if you look at the prevalence of heart disease that has been occurring over that same time period, it's actually going up. So why would that be? So if you have an intervention in 1968 that showed a really nice decline in overall heart disease, uh, overall, not to saying it still wasn't the number one killer in the United States, obviously, but a gradual decline from 1968 to 2010. And then in 2010 till now, you've had a gradual increase in heart disease overall um, in the public. And yet the statin drug use from that time frame has quadrupled. That does not make sense, obviously, does it? So, you know, the critical thinker has to think, well, what's going on? You know, why, why is statin drug use going up and heart disease going up? Well, you also have to take a look at obesity, right? So obesity over that time frame has went up significantly. And so that is the new latest and greatest cause of heart disease is diet. Uh, in addition to that, you also have to think about vascular injury and what causes that. Back in the 2000s is when we really introduced um, glyphosate, you know, into our food sources. And so if you follow Dr. Zach Bush um, and his um, quest to obviously eliminate um, glyphosate out of our food sources, you'll understand that 80% of the areas in the United States that have farmlands use Roundup, glyphosate, um, and other uh, types of pesticides and herbicides. Uh, those pesticides and herbicides get into our food sources, they get into our water sources, and they actually get into our air sources. And so as a result of that, the food that we're eating, the water that we're drinking, and the air that we're breathing all contains contaminants of herbicides and pesticides, and that's creating the inflammation in our vascular trees now. Uh, so basically our food sources, water sources, air sources are the new source of smoking in the United States. And so, so the encouraging thing is, you know, if we stop the injury, the population actually gets better. So clearly it's not over, keep medicating, keep medicating. It's, you know, try to figure out the root cause of the problem. So, you know, one of the things that we need to focus, I believe, um, isn't necessarily that, you know, cholesterol is the demon, you know, demonizing cholesterol in the situation. It's actually getting to root source. So, you know, we need to mitigate inflammation from our body. How do we do that? Well, number one, you know, unfortunately, you know, we have to stop eating poorly and we have to choose our food sources wisely. So we can't be eating, you know, foods that are GMO. We can't be eating foods um, that are laden with pesticides, herbicides, hormones, all that stuff. We really need to, you know, invest in organic foods. And, you know, I understand that organic foods are not cheap. You know, I'm, I'm very well aware of that because I consume them on the regular basis. But, 
you know, it's not to say that you can't go to your local farmers markets and do all those different things and not just go show up shopping at the big chains, you know, where they're going to charge you an arm and a leg. So to the best of your ability, you got to eat as much organic as you possibly can to avoid that stuff. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, some people just want to have their lifestyle habits they do. Like I had lunch with an attorney one time and he had higher cholesterol and he's a triathlon guy. He's a big athlete, you know. Where was his cholesterol coming from? A lot of the 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 meat sources, you know, that he was eating, you know. It's a very inflammatory thing in our body when we eat chicken breast. That was something that was very hard for me to swallow because I love chicken, I love steak, I love tuna, I love fish, you know. But at the end of the day, animal proteins are inflammatory. So he mitigated that stuff and became vegetarian. And as a result of that, his cholesterol dropped into more normal levels where he was comfortable with. And it didn't affect his, tri his triathlete status whatsoever. He felt if he didn't eat good protein sources, he wasn't going to rebuild his muscle. And now you see tons of professional athletes, NFL football players, uh, Olympic athletes, triathletes. They eat straight vegetarian diets and they're still performing at an amazing level. Because at a, at a cellular level, if you think, when you break down protein, what are you breaking protein down into? basically glucose at a cellular level, you know, but you're just kind of taking a few steps away and it absorbs much faster. Like it takes 12 to 14 hours for your body to pro to process uh, a bite of chicken versus if you eat, uh, you know, more of a vegetarian type of a diet, it takes 90 minutes for your body to produce that all the way down to the lower colon. So much quicker, much more efficient, much more energy efficient and much less inflammatory in nature. So some of the resources that I think are important are um, for, for like a lay person, if you want to like look at something that's easy to read and very, very easy to pick up on, uh, there's a book called The Engine 2 Diet uh, by Rip Esselstyn. And uh, that's a really, really good one. Another one is uh, Dr. Dean Ornish's Program for Reversing Heart Disease. So what's interesting is about this is that Caldwell Eppleston, uh, back in the 60s, was a, a very well-known cardiovascular surgeon. And what he did is that he would put his patients that were basically like terminally ill, like he'd already done so many bypasses when there wasn't any more like arteries that he could take out to bypass another clogged one. And these people were given only several months to live and they were going to have obviously heart attacks. And he put them on a plant-based diet. And what he did then is he studied it, and he comp he could completely reverse the cardiovascular disease within their blood vessels, like within the several months of just being on a plant-based diet. And he's like, holy cow. So he went straight into research that exclusively and stopped practicing uh, medicine. Um, and But basically, he, he, wrote, he wrote the book, basically. And so all these little spinoffs that come from that. But if you have heart disease and clogged arteries and bypass surgeries and stents in your heart and everything – you go on a plant-based diet in the proper way and you can completely reverse all the cardiovascular disease. And they've shown this in angiogram studies and everything else, like hairline blood flow to certain blood vessels, like opens wide open and restores all the blood flow. So, you know, that's all you have to do basically is a plant-based diet and you can reverse most all of the cardiovascular disease in your body. So, so that would be a big one that I would say is look up uh, Dean Ordish's program for reversing cardiovascular disease, or again, the engine two diet making sure that you eat a plant-based diet, making sure that you supplement with good fish oils, making sure that um, you understand the relationship of food sensitivities and how it creates low-grade inflammation in your body. So I recommend Viome testing for that, uh, which is a great gut test, making sure you have good gut integrity. Uh, that's huge. Um, 
So eating wild fermented foods, fibers, starches, complex carbs, eating uh, antioxidant rich foods, like so a lot of good colors of the rainbow on your vegetables and your fruits. Uh, turmeric, black pepper, fenugreek are all really good herbs and spices. Um, and then a little thing that you see now actually more commonly is nitric oxide, so beets. Uh, so beet supplements, beet juice, um, those are all excellent things. They, they have nitric oxide in there, which dilates and opens up blood vessels, makes things more pliable in the blood vessel. So these are all definitely things, if you did most of that stuff, not only can you reverse um, heart disease and plaque formation and all that, um, but you can thrive. And so these are the mitigating effects that people should be focusing on and should be doing, in my opinion, to prevent uh, and reverse heart disease rather than going on statin drugs and having all the deleterious down uh, cascade effects uh, that you're going to have on statin drug use. All right. Because LDL in of itself is crucial as it pertains to all of our body functions. And so if we eliminate that from the body, then we're eliminating our ability to be regenerative in nature. And so obviously that's not certainly good for the long term. And, you know, just one other like little key takeaway um, that I would say is, is exercise, you know, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. So, you know, and it doesn't have to be crossfitting and it doesn't have to be, you know, lifting heavy weights and all that stuff. You know, it just should be walking, you know, at a minimum. If you walk 20 to 30 minutes a day, first thing in the morning, last day at night, before you get a bed, post most meals, keep your, keep your blood sugar levels right. You know, that, that in and of itself goes a really, really long way um, in your body's uh, cardiovascular health. And so there was a nice study at the University of Minnesota, it was like 37,000 men. They walked 20 minutes a day, three days a week, reduces your risk of cardiovascular disease by 37%. And that's something that everybody can do. You don't have to have an expensive gym membership or you don't have to worry about injuries. You know, you can walk 20 to 30 minutes a day, three to four times a week, 37% reduction. And women, by the way, uh, have a, a tenfold reduction in breast cancer just by doing that alone. So get your exercise on a regular basis, put some good food into your mouth, take some good supplements and, and question your doctor. When you go to the doctor um, and he says, hey, you know, your cholesterol is a little high, say, you know, I can appreciate that. But, you know, doc, if I lower my cholesterol, you know, what about the pliability of my blood vessels? You know, what happens if those stiffen up because my body can't produce cholesterol? You know, what happens if we lose the, the protective barrier in my cell walls, you know, and how's that going to affect, obviously, the homeostasis within my cells? What happens when I can't produce enough bile to break down the foods so I can absorb the nutrients properly? And how's that going to affect my health overall, too? What about the hormonal imbalances? If I can't produce, you know, the proper balance of estrogen, testosterone, progesterone in my body, which is a byproduct of cholesterol, like how's that going to affect my body? And then what happens, obviously, is my body has inflammation in the vascular system and my body can't produce LDL to, for, as an anti-inflammatory. Like, how's that going to affect me long term? They'll probably look at you dumbfounded because they're so inundated with the reps coming every day, telling them about the latest and greatest drug that's going to lower the cholesterol and obviously prevent the plaques that they can't even remember being back in school in biology 101 and physiology, learning about what cholesterol does and how important it is for the body. So I hope you guys learned something really, really important here today. Again, consult with your medical doctors. And if they're not on board with you, find a medical doctor that will listen to you and obviously take all those things into account. And But you're going to have to make the lifestyle changes, right? If you're not willing to make the lifestyle changes, then unfortunately, you're going to have to stay on statin drugs and, and kind of deal with some of the consequences of that. So I'll always understand that 
the health is a choice and you're the only one that has the ability to make that choice and you're going to have to work hard um, and get out of those habits that have gotten you on the statin drugs in the first place. But at the end of the day, cholesterol is not the enemy. It's just a byproduct, obviously, of what you're doing in your life and your body's trying to help you out. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you need more information, you can always um, look, uh, go to commune.com, onecommune.com. Um, look at our website, premierwellnesscenters.com. Uh, if you enjoyed today's podcast, I really would appreciate you liking us, uh, sending it to somebody you care and love about. Or if you want to really go all out, write a, write a review for us uh, because that's the way that people are going to find out more about this podcast and hopefully it, it may save somebody's life or somebody they care about in the future. So happy holidays and I'll see you next month. Mm-hmm.